All right. Good morning, church. It's good to see you. Uh, my name's Andrew. I'm the pastor here. And uh, man, it's fun. I love seeing those serve team spotlights. Uh, it's funny because I'm listening behind me. The Kelly family is sitting laughing at themselves. And then I have my wife next to me. When her face comes up on the screen, she's like, <laughs> the whole time. Oh. Fun, fun, fun stuff. Um, I love it. I love it. I love uh, that we get to serve the Lord together. We get to worship the Lord, sing his praises together. We are in this series uh, in the book of Acts, Acts, the church on the move. We are in week number 13 uh, out of 17, so not much further to go. Uh, but we're in Acts 17 today. You know, Jesus had this mission of getting the gospel, the good news that we've sung about this morning, getting that gospel message to the ends of the earth, to the whole world. And so following his death and his burial and his resurrection, he leaves this mission in the hands of uh, a few men who, whom he calls apostles. And so this book that we're in in the New Testament, the book of Acts, is, is actually called the Acts of the Apostles. But we've said this before, it really should be titled the Acts of the Holy Spirit because God is building his church, his church is on the move because he's in the move, uh, on the move in and through his uh, Holy Spirit in the lives of these men and women uh, who follow him. And so at this point in the story, Paul, the Apostle Paul, who's kind of the, the primary leader at this point in the history of the church, he is, he's already taken one mission trip, uh, one missionary journey to take the gospel overseas. And now we started last week into missionary trip number two. Uh, and so that's where we're going to be today. Last week we saw that God provided providentially directed or redirected, we might say, his, his missionary team um, into Greece. The gospel got to, to Europe. And so, um, you know, there's a similar pattern every time that, that Paul and his team land in a new area or a new town, new city, uh, and it kind of follows this general pattern for the most part. Uh, if there's a synagogue where Jews meet to worship, uh, Paul goes to the, to the synagogue and he starts there, preaches uh, to the Jews. Uh, but every time he preaches Christ. He preaches the gospel boldly. Many people believe, which forms the basis of this, this new church plant. Um, but there, there's persecution that always rises up against them, which ends up kind of chasing them off and into the next area. And so we kind of see that take place even in, in Acts chapter 17. So today we're going we're gonna to be there. Um, one of the things I love about these missionary trips and Paul taking the gospel out is that Paul knows his mission. He's living on mission. And so we, we see these stories of him being beaten and stoned and imprisoned and left for dead. And yet he keeps on going. He, he never stops because he knows that God has a mission for his life. And until t God tells him to stop, he's going to keep on going. And so we see that as we move into uh, Acts chapter 17 today. The journey, the second missionary journey, continues as Paul lands in Athens, Greece. And so I do want to read you this quote, just a brief quote from John Polhill. He said this, Paul's brief visit to Athens is a centerpiece for the entire book of Acts. So this is an important story that we see today. I'm calling the sermon this morning simple, uh, Paul's message at Mars Hill. Paul's message at Mars Hill. And so this story of, of Paul's visit to Athens is really one of the most popular stories or most popular passages we see in, in the book of Acts. Now, why is this such a popular story, well-known story? Well, here's my opinion. My opinion is because uh, Paul in this story, as he's in Athens, uh, it's a very worldly city. And it's a very pagan city full of, of idols and full of worship. And, and Paul engages with 
unbelievers who are very much like people today, very much like unbelievers, those who don't yet believe in Jesus uh, today. They worship different things, different gods, don't really know who Jesus is, uh, enamored with learning new things, but really think God is far off and God is distant. And so you know what? This might describe you. Uh, maybe currently, this may describe you at one point in your life. Uh, it very well could describe people that you know in your family, uh, in your workplace, at school, people um, in your neighborhood. Uh, but this is why I think this is such a popular passage. Paul engages with those who don't yet know Jesus. Uh, and I think we have an incredible example here. How do you talk to people who have no real conception of who God is, of how good he is, of how strong and loving he is. How do you talk to them about this God that we know and love? And I think we get a great example here from Paul in Acts chapter 17. So if you have a Bible with you, I'm going to encourage you to open up to Acts 17. We're going to read through that in just, uh, in just a, a minute here. Let me give you some context uh, for where Paul is in this journey. We're going to put up another map. You know I've been doing this over the last number of, of weeks. Let me just kind of summarize where he's been and where he's going. Last week we saw Paul and his, his partner uh, in ministry, Silas, uh, they travel from, they're, they're in Philippi in chapter 16. Now they are traveling uh, from Philippi to uh, Thessalonica. Thessalonica, that is not the right, yeah, it is the right picture. I just couldn't see the, the yellow on there. So they go from Philippi over to uh, Thessalonica. Then they will um, make their way into a place called Berea. In fact, let me, let me just pause here for a second. Philippi is where they start a church. They, they go about 100 miles uh, southwest uh, to Thessalonica, where they uh, spend several weeks there. Paul goes to the synagogue. He preaches the gospel. Many believe, and yet this mob uh, surfaces that, that aren't in agreement with what Paul is preaching. And so they, they chase them out of town. Um, they head about 50 miles west to a place called Berea. Uh, they go to Berea, and again, same thing, start in the synagogue, Paul preaches the word, many believe, but then this mob who started in Thessalonica, they hear that Paul is preaching the same message, and so they, they travel there, and they run them out of, of Berea as well, and, and Paul ends up going to Athens, Greece, which is where we'll be in just a minute, uh, but, Paul, uh, but Silas and Timothy they stay behind in, in Berea. But before we get to, to Athens, which is where we're going to spend the morning uh, here today, um, there's, a couple, there's a couple things early in this chapter that I cannot pass over. All right, so verse number six, I want you to see this. As they're in Thessalonica, this is my favorite description of, of these early disciples. Um, it says this in, in verse number six, as that mob is, is looking to locate and uh, really to, to punish and beat Paul and his companions, they go to the house of this one named Jason, who was a, a disciple there. The church really is kind of meeting in his home. It says this in verse number six, they're looking for them. It says, these men, who have turned the world upside down have come here also. So the description of the people who are, are seeking Paul, who are wanting to, to you know, run them out of town, they describe the early disciples this way. These men who have turned the world upside down. Man, I love this description of them. These, these disciples, these followers, followers of Jesus are changing the world. 
I love that description of them. Now, like, why would, they, why would they say that about these men? How are they turning things upside down? Well, you see in verse number seven, it says this. It says that they're all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. So at, at the core of their message, they're declaring that Caesar's not the real king. There's another king. His name is what? Jesus. And this simple message that, man, there's another, there's a real king beyond Caesar. His name is Jesus. This is the message that's turning everything upside down. And then you go into Berea. One more verse that I want to see before we jump into to Athens. Verse number 11, it says this. They go to Berea. Uh, they, they go to the Jewish synagogue. Verse number 11 says, now, these Jews that were here in Berea were more noble than those in Thessalonica. Why were they more noble? It says, because they received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. So I love this, again, this description of the Bereans. This is such an important marker of the early disciples. Man, they were eager to receive the word. Like they loved the word of God. They devoured the word of God. They were devoted to the word of God. And in fact, they, they wanted to be faithful to it. So they would hear somebody speak and you know what they would do? They would compare what they were hearing to what the scriptures say. say to say, okay, is, is, is what I'm hearing about God lining up with what his word says? And so they would examine the scriptures. To, to, and they would do their homework to make sure what they were hearing lined up with the scriptures. Y'all, this is such an important mark of a follower of Jesus. This is one of the reasons why uh, we do, and we announce it every single week, that we do this digital bulletin and sermon notes. Uh, part of it is because some, for some of you, it helps to take notes and have notes and have those to reference. Uh, part of it, honestly, at least half of the reason I do that is because I want you all to be able to, through the week, be able to take what you're hearing from my mouth or whoever's up here preaching uh, the word and compare what I'm saying to what God has said. Because if what I say doesn't line up with what God has said, you know what you ought to do with it? Chuck it, right? And me as well, okay? Uh, and so this is what the Bereans did. They were faithful. They wanted to know, okay, is, is what we're hearing faithful to what the scriptures say? And so whether it's me or anybody else, man, let's, let's not neglect that responsibility to make sure what we're hearing, even if it's from a trusted source, lines up with what the scriptures say. So these are two descriptions of the early church. They turned the world upside down because they proclaimed another king, Jesus, and they were devoted to the word. And, and, I, may, and I want to make sure that I highlight those two descriptions, those two descriptors of the early disciples, because those two descriptors don't always uh, describe disciples in 2023. You know what I'm saying? Um, and so this is important. We, we want to be known by having lives that proclaim another king and lives that are devoted to his word. So let's move into Acts 17, verses 16 through 34. I'm going to do something that I haven't done before. I want to ask you all to stand with me as we read the scriptures. 
This is the word of God. This is the truth. This is life. These are the words of grace. We're going to read these together. If you have a Bible, um, a, a physical Bible, man, I want to encourage you to bring it because we want to read this and, and, and open this together. And so we're going to read uh, Acts 17, verses 16 through 34. Uh, correction, I'm going to read. All right, it's going to be really hard if we try to read that many. Yeah, we have a hard time reading one verse together at the end of the sermon. You know what I'm saying? Um, so I'm going to read. You're going to read along with me on the screens or in your Bible, okay, mentally, in your head. All right, verse number 16, it says this. Now, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. And some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus saying, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? For you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know therefore what these things Mean. Now, all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. Verse 22. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. Verse 26, and he made from one man uh, of May he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we not ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead." Now, when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, but others said, we'll hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst, but some men joined him and believed, among whom also were Dionysus the Areopagite and a woman named Damaris and others with them. And so God, thank you so much for your word, the truth of your word. Thank you for the story that we look at today. I pray that you would help us to uh, not just see the story and hear the story, but understand the story and understand 
God, who you are, the truth of um, the truth of your love and your sovereignty and your power and your goodness and your grace. And so, Lord, I, I thank you for this opportunity that we have to meet together around the truth of the gospel. I pray that you would open our eyes and our hearts to whatever it is that you want to say to us today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't you all have a seat? Thank you for standing with me. Uh, so, four things I want to see today in this passage. Number one is this, Paul's burden. Paul's burden. So, Paul moves into Athens. Silas, Timothy, stay behind. So Paul is there solo. Uh, I want to I show you this picture of, of Athens. This is what I think of when I think of Athens, Greece, a, a modern day kind of picture here. A pretty beautiful place, wouldn't you agree? Uh, Athens was the capital of, of Greece. Uh, it, it was uh, a cultural and intellectual center. Uh, it was the home of pagan Greek philosophy. So, um, you know, uh, culture, education, fine arts, uh, it, it was all here in, in, in Athens. It was known as the birthplace of Western civilization. A lot more we could say about Athens, but, but y'all know what that, that building uh, way up high is called? Anybody familiar with that? The Parthenon, all right? Anybody been to the Parthenon? All right, okay. I've been to the Parthenon also in Nashville. Uh, there is a replica. It's pretty awesome. I, I, I read that it was the only like, life-size replica of the Parthenon. So if you can't make your way to Greece, um, like Patrick, head to, head to Nashville. All right, it's a lot closer. Um, but super cool. Uh, the Parthenon, let me, let me just read you this about, um, about the culture there. In every ancient Greek city, on the highest point of elevation, they would build a temple there. Uh, it was a temple to their, their patron god or goddess. All right. So in Athens, their goddess was uh, Athena. And, and so there was this, this, this uh, statue of, of Athena uh, high within the, the, the Parthenon. And so they had these, these locations that were, they called them high cities or, um, or Acropolis to the Greeks. Uh, the reason that why they were high was because they believed that like the higher you were, the higher elevation, the closer you were to God, right? And that just kind of makes sense to them. And so they would build these, um, these impressive uh, temples to their goddess. Uh, about 50 yards away from uh, the Parthenon was this little hill, uh, and on it was, was uh, a temple to a Greek god, uh, the Greek god of war, Ares, which was... Uh, corresponded to the Roman god uh, of war, Mars, okay? So this is why this was called the Areopagus, or Mars Hill is another term for that. Some of your translations may have that there. Uh, and so this is where, this is where Paul lands uh, as he uh, preaches the gospel to these uh, Athenian people, all right? So Paul's burden, he, he lands here in, in Athens, verse number 16, right off the bat, here's what it says. While Paul was waiting for, for them, he's talking about Silas, Timothy, he's waiting in Athens and he's kind, of, he's kind of walking around, he's just checking out the scene, checking out the area, and it says that his spirit was provoked within him. Okay, and another term you could use is his spirit was deeply distressed. Why? Because he looked around and, and what did he see? The city was full of what? Idols, full of, of, of idols. Now, he's talking about literal, physical idols, gods that they, they worshipped. Uh, but, but what we see later on when he, when he gets into his message here in verse 22 and 23, he says, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you're very, what? Religious. For as I passed along, I observed the objects of your worship. 
Uh, so, so Paul has this burden. He's walking through. He's seeing their culture, and he's seeing all these idols. I, I read that there were more idols than actually people in, in, in Athens. And so it's full of, of idols, these objects of, of worship. And so Paul, he, he knows these people worship many, many gods and have many, many idols. And he knows that there is one true God who offers forgiveness and freedom and life. And so he is, he's burdened. He's distressed because he sees people who worship false gods. And the reality is that we are all creatures of, of worship. We are all creatures of worship. That idols aren't just statues and monuments. Idols are anything that we look to uh, to, 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 to give us uh, life and, and satisfaction and pleasure. Anything that we look to or devote ourselves to. We're all religious. We all, have, we all struggle with having idols or substitute gods that we put in the place of the one true God. And so some of you, you may get distressed in your spirit when you look at somebody that you, you know and love that worships, worships anything other than the one God who made them and loves them. And this was Paul. He walks through the city and he's seeing, he's scanning the, 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 the city and he sees all these idols and man, he's burdened. So Paul's burden. Here, here's the second thing we see in this passage is Paul's strategy. Like what does Paul do with, with what he sees? Verse 17 tells us that he reasoned with them in the synagogue. So again, he starts in the synagogue. He, he goes there. He reasons with the Jews and the devout people. Uh, there, but then he also uh, reasons with them in the marketplace. So when it says that he reasoned with them, really what's happening is he's, he's dialoguing with them. He reasoned with them, not to them. He's, he's speaking with them. He's, he's learning about them. He's, he's, uh, he, he goes into uh, not just the, the, the temple, the synagogue, but he goes into the marketplace. So the marketplace in, in Athens in particular, it was the hub of, of culture, all right? It's where everything happened, commerce, dialogue, it was all in the marketplace. Now, when we talk about the marketplace uh, today, we're usually referring to the places where we work, right? But kind of in this culture, when he's talking about he went to the synagogue, he went to the marketplace, really, like in our context, we would describe the marketplace as anywhere we, we live and learn and work and play. It's like all the places we go, right? We have church, we have the church community, and then it's, it's the community uh, outside of that. And so Paul is reasoning with them within the synagogue and in the marketplace. And so he's talking with them. It says that he identified with them. Verse 22, it says this, that as he was standing in the midst of the Areopagus, he said, men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you're very religious. Because as I passed along, there's things that I observed. So I, I just mentioned this because this is important. Like, he was paying attention to what was going on uh, in the culture. He identified, he found common ground with those people. Like verse 28 goes on to say that like, he even quotes some of their, their poets. All right, so he was familiar with their cultural, culture. And so here's a term that, that I might use today or we might hear today is, is cultural relevance. All right, cultural relevance. So he was aware of what was going on in the culture. Uh, he wasn't oblivious to it, which, uh, can I say this? Sometimes the church uh, in the, the 21st century has a reputation for being like totally oblivious to what's happening in culture. You, you know that, right? 
Like, what's wrong with these ignorant people? Don't they know what's happening in the world? And I, I would say there's, um, there's many believers or churches that, that, that might actually be true of. But Paul made it a point to be aware of, of their culture, culture and what was going on in the culture at that time. Now, I do want to read this quote because I think we have to be careful when it comes to cultural relevance, all right? Um, so I don't preach in jeans because it's culturally relevant, all right? I preach in jeans because it's comfortable, <laughs> all right? But I think there is a, a way in which we can do things because we want the world to be able to relate and go, okay, they're normal people. Um, well, first of all, the gospel is always, 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 always relevant, all right? It's always relevant. Um, and, and so I think, there, but I think there's a danger in saying, okay, we're going to do things in such a way that, man, we're culturally relevant. And so people listen to us because we're just like you. So I, I think we need to be careful. Let me read you this quote that I, I think is, is helpful. And I'll talk more about this a little bit in the weekly word tomorrow uh, when I send that out. If you're not familiar with that, it's our weekly email. Uh, you can look on our social media. Go to friendshipwired.com. I'll have some extra stuff to say there. But here's what Tony Marita says. He says, Christians can use cultural sources as we strive to connect with those who don't know Jesus and aren't familiar with God's word, but we must always do so with caution and discretion. We must also take care not to allow a love of entertainment to divert us from spending quality time in prayer and in scripture. Paul was aware of popular writings, but nothing about his life suggests he would have been watching hours of Netflix if given the opportunity, much less allowing his mind to play in the gutter as he considered hours of explicit pop lyrics. We must guard our hearts, Philippians 4.8, but we also should seek to understand culture. Doing so can help us build bridges to the gospel. All right, so... Uh, I would throw in, you know, Snapchat or, you know, TikTok or whatever number of things. Like, he was aware of what was going on in culture, but man, he was, he, he was seeking to build bridges so that he could get the gospel to people, all right? And so his strategy was, man, uh, he, he wanted to, he reasoned with them, he identified him with, with them. And then there's a, kind of a third thing here with his strategy. He shared the story of God with them because, again, this is the most relevant thing that we can do is share the truth of the gospel with people. And so he shared the story of God with them. Y'all remember, I've talked about multiple, multiple times, the four parts of God's story, okay? Creation, fall, rescue, restoration. Creation, fall, rescue, restoration. What Paul does with, with these unbelievers is he, he starts with creation. All right, so here, here's what Paul did. He adjusted his message to the people he was speaking to. Okay, he didn't alter the content of the gospel because to change it is to, to lose it. He didn't change the content of the gospel, but he adjusted to who he was speaking to. And so when you see him go into the synagogue and he, he spoke to uh, Jews, the Jews had this understanding. They, had this, they already had baked into their lives, into their brains, uh, this understanding of the Old Testament. So Paul would start with the Old Testament. They, they understood creation. They understood who God was. They understood their sinfulness. They understood that there was a Messiah who was going to come and rescue them. So they had all this understanding. So when Paul would go into a synagogue, he would start with, really, that rescue portion. Here's, here's who Jesus is. Jesus Christ is, he is the Messiah. Jesus is the Christ come to save you. So he could start there. All right, so th this reminds me of, if you heard in that video, uh, Angela talked about, uh, oh, Frankie Kelly walked me down the Romans Road, right? Anybody, 
just out of curiosity, who knows what the Romans road is? All right. Some of you are like, a road in Rome? <laughs> no, it's, it's a series of scriptures through the book of Romans that, that takes you to uh, the gospel, that helps you understand the gospel, the fact that we're sinners and that we need Christ. Uh, when I came to Christ, uh, someone likewise walked me down. They took me through the scriptures that led me to uh, salvation in Christ. I have no problem with the Romans road. I love the Romans road. Uh, I came to know who Christ was because of what the scriptures say. But that was also 1992. All right, a couple decades ago, our culture in general had a basic understanding of, of, of God, the Bible. I say a general understanding, a basic understanding. But, but for these, these pagan unbelievers, they had no such background. They had no such understanding. And so to start with the Messiah, to start with Jesus, man, that was a, there was a lot that they did not understand. They, they would see Jesus as just another of a, you know, a multitude of gods. And so what Paul did is he started back with what? Creation. He had to take them and see that, hey, there are not many, 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 many gods. There is one true God. In fact, let, let's look at what the scriptures say there. Um, actually, you know what? I'm jumping ahead. Let me, let me get there in a second. All right. So, so, so I just want to point out here, he started with creation. There, there's not this, this basic understanding uh, of who God is. And, and, and likewise, today, I just want to make sure I say this. We can't assume that, that everybody has a basic understanding of who God is. Y'all, we may live in the South, but not everybody knows, truly knows the gospel. And I say that because I even, I'm reminded, I, I heard a story of someone who came to our youth this, this past week and uh, for the first time understood that Easter was actually about Jesus and about the resurrection of Christ. And I don't say that to make light of that because that was my story. I had no clue when I, was a, when I came to Christ at 17 years old that Easter had to do with the resurrection of Jesus. But we would all go, if we grew up in church, if we know about it, we go, well, of course this is what... Easter is about. It's about the resurrection story. But we can, we can never, ever, ever assume that people know the story of God or that there is one true God who loves us and created us. And so Paul's strategy was reason with them, identify with them, but share the story of God with them. So let's move into the next point, point number three, which is this, Paul's sermon. All right, this is where I was getting excited. I was trying to jump into to his sermon content. It's so good. But here's one thing that I read this week that really encouraged me. Uh, so these Areopagus speeches, they were known for being long, all right? They, they were known for, you know where I'm going with this. They, they were known for going even two to three hours. And I read that and I was like, Whew, our people should be thankful. I only push an hour sometimes, right? Um, I heard no response. So, all right. Um, uh, this will not be two to three hours, all right? But he, 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 so what we see here is it's a relatively, like, power-packed, like, short sermon. And you read this and you go, Paul could preach, like, a short sermon. Why can't you, Pastor Andrew? Um, but but here's, here's, here's something I read that encouraged me, like, or that helped me get perspective. This probably wasn't the full like, text of, of his sermon. Because these things tended to be long, what we see here, Dr. Luke, who is the author, probably didn't record everything in here. He just kind of highlighted it. Um, and, and so he, here's, and you could, you could divide this sermon up into however many points you want. Uh, I want to give you four things that I see here just, just briefly. 
I do mean briefly. All right, here's what he says. First thing is this, God is creator. God is creator. He starts off by talking about this, verse number 24. He says, the God who made the world. He's talking about this inscription to the unknown God, what therefore you worship is unknown. Here's what I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man. He says, and he kind of extends this throughout the whole sermon, is there's only one God. There's not many, many gods. There's only one true God. He is the Lord of heaven and earth. He made everything. He doesn't dwell or live in, in temples made by man. No, he is the one true God. God is creator. So he starts with that. Here's the second thing he talks about. God is sovereign. God is sovereign. He goes on in verses 25 and, and 26. He goes on to say, nor is, is he served by human hands as though he needed anything since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything he's sovereign he, he he doesn't need anything he is completely this god that we're talking about is completely independent we are on the other hand completely dependent he doesn't need anything he is the one who who gives to all mankind life and breath in everything. I think this is kind of, in, in my mind, I'm thinking of all these idols that he saw, and he's thinking of all these idols, like, that they worship, but they had to move them, and they had to prop them up, and they had to do all these things. Our God is totally independent of us. He doesn't need us. He is, is sovereign, verse 26, and he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth having determined, here, here is the sovereignty of God right here. He's determined allotted periods in the boundaries of their dwelling place. In other words, what he's saying is a sovereign God, this powerful God is able to determine periods and seasons and boundaries. Like he is in control of all things. He is sovereign. God is creator. God is sovereign. Here's the third thing that I think he, he speaks to. God is knowable. God is knowable. Verse number 27, he says this. He's determined these allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. Why? Verse 27, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. God is is knowable. God wants us to know him. God wants us to discover him. He wants us to seek for him, seek him and, and to find him. This is his desire. And you see this kind of uh, language of, of like sin. Like there's this picture of like us being blind and, and like groping in the dark, right? You all ever done that, like walking through the dark and you're like, oh man, I'm going to kill myself. I'm going to hurt myself. And you're groping, you're trying to find the lights and you're just like, where's that light switch? And you're, this is what he's describing. This, this, is what, this is a picture of sin, that we're in darkness, we're blinded. We need the lights to come on. We need the light of the glorious gospel to shine. And so uh, groping around for the light but God wants to be found. He wants us to, to know him. Verse 28 and 29, he, he quotes their philosophers. He says, for in him we live and move and have our being, even if, as even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his what? 
his offspring. We don't use that word a lot. Um, I don't know, maybe I'll use it in the South more uh, than I do, but offspring, we're talking about kids or his children. He's, he, is a, he is a father. In other words, he is a person. He is a father. He's not an object to be worshipped. He's not an image to bow down to. He is a person. He is, he is a father. And then he moves on to this fourth point. God is creator. God is sovereign. God is knowable. Here's the fourth and final thing. God is both judge and rescuer. God is both judge and rescuer. Look at verse 30 and 31 again. He says, The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all. How? By raising him from the dead. So he, he, he says that this God is, is judge. He's been long-suffering. He's been patient. He hasn't brought judgment and wrath upon you yet. He's been merciful and long-suffering. He's given everybody this opportunity to repent. But make no mistake, he will judge sin. He is the judge. He will be your judge, is what he's saying. He's confronting them with their sin. But here's the beauty of the gospel. He doesn't just leave it with, hey, God is going to judge you. He said, God is both your judge and your rescuer. He is both judge and your savior. This, this, your judge, if you will believe in him, if you will repent of your sins and believe in him, he will become your savior. He will become your rescuer. He will save you from your sin. And so this is the, the content of, of Paul's sermon. And at this point, you know, it, it, it basically moves beyond that. And it, it seems as if, it appears that his sermon is, is cut short. And so some commentators, historians would look at this sermon and, and criticize it because they would say, well, he really didn't preach the cross here. Right? He, he kind of left out the cross. And, and I would submit to you that when you read like the full breadth of Paul's writing, when you see his sermons and, and like the content that he preaches throughout Acts and the New Testament, um, it's clear. The central content of his message. You go back to verse 18. I want to go back for a second. He says this. This is why this whole thing came about. This is why they said, hey, tell us what you're talking about. We want to know what this means. It's, it was all stirred up because it says, because he was preaching who? Jesus and the resurrection. He always got to Jesus and he always got to the resurrection. And so this is plainly the content of his preaching. And so let me, let, let me close with this last thing, the, the people's response. Number four, the final thing, the people's response. You see three different responses to the message of of Christ. And, and this, is, this, is tr this was true in Athens. This is true today. Red, red light, yellow light, green light. Okay, can you all remember that? Red light, yellow light, green light. Okay, so what, is, what does a red light mean? Stop, all right? So look at the response here, verse number 32. It says, when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some what? Some mocked. They mocked. They said, this is this is trash, whatever. We, no. And they, they mocked him. It was a red light. Stop. We don't want to hear this anymore. Yellow light. What, what does a yellow light mean? 
I was curious. To me, it means slow down. Some of you are like, speed up, <laughs> right? <laughs> Depends. Um, so so here, here's the yell out. Here's the response in, in verse number uh, 32. Some mocked, but others said, we will what? Hear you again about this. They said, uh, we're not sure. We're not, we're not stiff-arming him. We're not rejecting this, but we need to hear more. We, we want to hear more. We're not quite sure we're getting it, but we're we're curious. We're interested. So yellow light. Here's the green light. What does green light mean? Go. Go. Give it to me. Here's, here's what verse 34 says. Uh, so Paul went out from the midst, verse 34, but some men joined him and what? Believed. Some believed. Some listened. They believed. Some said, Mm-mm, nope, I don't have anything to do with it. They mocked him. Some said, mm, let me hear more about this. And then some said, mm absolutely. I believe. I believe. And they joined with him. Listen, y'all, this is always the response to the gospel. One of these three things. People, this was at one point in time, you're, you were, you've gone probably through all of these, right? Red light, yellow light, green light. Here's, here's really the, the bottom line for this morning. What I, I just want to remind us of, and this is a simple statement, but I want us to grasp, it, grasp this. The gospel is an old story that brings new life. The gospel is an old story that brings new life. So the people in Athens, you know what they wanted? They wanted some new learning. They wanted new learning. They wanted new information. But you know what they needed? They needed new life. They needed new life. Paul wasn't interested in just giving them some new stuff to to learn and hear and comprehend. No, Paul's goal was that they would experience new life. And so he gave them the good news, the gospel message, the old, old story. He told them the truth. He told them a true story about this one God, this one true God who created everything, who loves them. Because of your sin, you're cut off from him, but he wants to know you. He wants to be known by you. And so he came to rescue you. He came to redeem you. This is a true story. This is the best story because this is the story that changes everything. Amen? This is the story that changes everything. And the response that God is always looking for in this story is that green light. He wants people to believe and to put their faith in the Savior. And so I just want to ask you this morning, have you ever given God the green light? Have you ever said, God, yes, I believe. Yes, God, I give you my life. I give you my heart. I give you all of me. I believe. I submit my whole life to you. Have you ever given God the green light? If not, what's holding you back? What's holding you back? This is, this is the only story that could make sense of your story. It's a, it's a story that he is writing. It's a story that he's inviting you into. If you have heard this story, if you have believed this gospel story, if you love this story, let me ask you a question. Do you believe it's a story worth telling? Do you believe it's a story worth telling? When was the last time you told it? Listen, y'all, this is a story that has the power to change lives. It's an old story that brings new life. 
and you hear me harp on the gospel week in and week out, I don't ever want this, this old story to become old news to us. Now hear what I'm saying? This is the story that changed our lives and hopefully is still changing your life today. And it's a story that's worth sharing. It is a story worth telling, amen? And so God, thank you for the story, this good news of the gospel that has changed us, this good news of the gospel that has changed the world. And this is why we're in this book of Acts. This is why uh, we're looking at all these things. This is why we're in the year of mission. God, because we believe that this is the most important story we could ever tell. And so God, I pray that you would give us a burden for the people that we know and even people that we don't know that worship other gods, that worship other things other than you. God, give us a burden. God, help us to hear and receive and believe that story. Help us to share that story with others. Help our lives to sing of the beauty of that story. God, we love you. We worship you this morning in Jesus' name. Amen.